right, so this morning we have two texts to turn to if you have your Bibles. Um, John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11, and Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11, and Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Have you ever watched a movie where you got like two plot lines going on at one time and somehow in the end they meet together? That's what we're doing this morning. <laughs> so uh, um, hopefully you have the mental capacity for that. Hopefully you had enough coffee this morning. But uh, John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're going to start with John chapter 8. Uh, this morning, which says, starting in verse 2, says, Early in the morning, he, he is Jesus, came to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought uh, a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they had said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote in the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now let's turn to our other text, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, which says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a a brand plucked from the fire. Now Joshua standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my way and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. This morning, I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, The Adulteress, the High Priest, and the Redeemer. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning. Let your spirit, God, move. God, let your spirit touch each and every one of us today. God, not by wor my words or my intellect, God, I hide behind your cross, Lord, humbly this morning. Lord, that you would speak to each person. God, that you would uh, relay your message clearly to everyone here, that no one would leave this place, God, untouched by your spirit. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to deal with the first issue that everyone, I pray, will deal with at some point in their life. And that is this, we are sinful. In our text, in our first text, we see a woman who is caught in adultery. Now, this sermon is not about adultery, but rather sin in general. But we do know adultery is a sin, therefore we can put it in that category. The seventh commandment in Exodus chapter 20 from God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. We know that it is a sin, and Jesus takes it a step farther in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you lust after a woman in your own mind, you are committing adultery with that, with that woman. But the ultimate theme of this story is not specific to adultery in of it of itself, although it does, of course, apply there, but no, it is redemption from sin. Ultimately, this woman, simply put, was caught in her sin and brought before Jesus in her sin. And we see in our other text, we see Joshua, the high priest. This is a vision given to Zechariah the prophet. And verse 3 says, Now Joshua is standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments. Now this is a vision from God. So these things that he's seeing are not literally happening, but they are rather symbolic. And these filthy garments symbolize sin. They symbolize unrighteousness and uncleanliness in this man. Now the scripture in this case does not deal with a specific sin, but nonetheless these garments represent the shortcomings of this man before God. You see the adulteress and the high priest both and us alike are sinful. We are all or 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 we're all once sinful. We know Romans 3:23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. That's everyone living in sin. Sin is what makes us filthy and unworthy before God. It's simply put in the Bible. We may go on living in sin for some time and even feel okay about it. There's many people, as you share the gospel with them, they say, listen, that Jesus thing might work for you, but I'm doing okay. At some point, they become okay with their sin and comfortable in their sin, or they're at least able to convince themselves that they're okay. But at some point or another will come the accusers. Because we are caught in our sin, whether we think we hide it or not, and we face an accuser before us. Our text in John shows us in verse 3 about the adulterous woman, which says the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. See, here she is in a group of crowded people. Her sin is out in the open for everyone to see. No one commits adultery expecting it to become public knowledge. Oftentimes, we don't sin expecting it to come to light. If we sinned with that mentality, we would probably think more than once before we do it. 
We don't commit our sins. We don't make our choices expecting to be exposed in our sin, whether it's in a public setting or whether it's because we are showing evidence of the consequences of our choices. But generally, we're not thinking with much forethought when we make these choices. But we, in reality, should not be surprised when our sin comes to light. Because the enemy of our souls is out to accuse us, and he is out to condemn us, and he is out to drag us down as far as he can in our sin. You see, in the story in John, the Pharisees are not the main accuser. They are a tool by the ultimate accuser. Revealed to us in our text in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. How many know God cannot do anything in your life without Satan right there trying to tell you you're not worthy? You're not able accusing you of your sin, accusing you, reminding you of every dirty deed you did, the things you haven't thought about for years. He's saying, you really think you can serve God with these skeletons in your closet? You really think you can do anything for Him when you've done this, you've been there, you've said that? You really think you can be effective for God? You see, Satan, his name, literally, the definition of his name means adversary and accuser. He is the enemy of your soul, and he is the first one to bring up your sin. And his goal is, to, is only to condemn and destroy. And he does this in one of two ways. To accuse you before God, he, he likes to bring our sins up before God as if that can change our mind, change his mind while simultaneously he will either try to keep you feeling comfortable in your sin or, on the other hand, make you feel trapped in your sin. You see, we, we, we deal with many people when we share the gospel, when we go out and we evangelize and we witness to people, people who are unwilling to come to Christ. You always get one, or two, one of two responses. No, I'm not really for that. I don't need that. You got your God thing. I got my whatever. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm comfortable. And on the other hand, you got people who say, listen, man, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the heart that I've caused. God can't save me. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I'm addicted. I'm this. I'm that. I can't get out of this. This is the goal of our adversary. The enemy of our souls is to either give us complete comfort in our sin or complete condemnation in our sin to where we feel like we cannot or we don't need to get out of it. To accuse you before God. And Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but it is the free gift of God is of eternal life, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that's the promise of Scripture. But you see, the devil, if he were to share that Scripture with you, all he would tell you is the wages of sin is death. And he would leave it at that, as he does for many people. And sometimes the wages of sin is death, and we are starting to feel a little overpaid. We're starting to feel like we're getting that overtime paycheck. You know what I'm saying? Wages is like when you go to work and you get paid. 
Death is the payment for our sins, and sometimes we feel like we're getting paid pretty well. Otherwise, he's trying to withhold the pay and convince us that we're doing fine. Convincing us to gratify our flesh. Galatians 5, 16-17 says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And Romans five, uh, sorry, Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I say this all the time, church, and I'll say it again. Satan knows the Bible. He knows what it says. And our accuser, our adversary understands this. Which is why we must also understand this as well. We must also understand that when we are caught in the filth of our sin, when we're caught in the act of what we've been doing, when we're caught in the way that we've been going about life, we cannot continue to live in it. We cannot accept it as comfortable. We cannot accept it as our ultimate condemnation. We must acknowledge that He is Lord. You see, we know that Joshua, the high priest, has accepted Christ as his Lord. He was the high priest of Israel. And we see in the text about the adulteress acknowledge Christ as Lord. In verse 11, she responds to his question by saying, No one, Lord. It's interesting, the Pharisees called him teacher or rabbi, which means the same thing. It was as a formality because this was the position that Jesus held. This was the position, it's like calling a doctor a doctor, it's like calling, you know, a pastor a pastor. It means nothing other than just you're acknowledging the position that they're in. But she calls him Lord, she acknowledges him as Lord, and there's something incredible to notice about these two passages. This woman, caught in the act of adultery, most people would agree that that's not cool. Adultery ain't all right. Even people in the world who have no understanding of Christ, who have no uh, faith to claim to their own, know that cheating ain't cool. It's not all right. It's, there's nothing okay about it. So it's simple to read this text and to think, yes, of course she was in sin. Yes, of course she was living a life far from God. Yes, of course she was messed up. Of course she's unclean. Of course she's unfaithful. Of course she's unmoral. It's easy to see that. You see, but on the other hand, in our other text, we see Joshua. He is the high priest of Israel. He is easily considered the most righteous man in all of Israel. Think about this. The spiritual leader of an entire nation. But yet, he too is standing before God unclean. 
in sin. This is an inadequate comparison, but it's almost like if we compare Pastor Greg Mitchell, the leader of our fellowship, to some new convert who just came in and got radically saved from their sin. To, to us, we look at these two stories and we see two very, very different people, very, very different levels, different social statuses, different, and people will look at them differently. That is an adulteress. She cheated on her husband. This is the high priest of Israel, high and mighty, wise, and this is just a dirty, rotten sinner. That's what we see with our eyes. But as we compare these texts side by side, what we see is the adulteress and the high priest both were filthy before God, unrighteous before God, sinful before God. You see, their status in the world was different, but their need was the same. Their need was they needed a redeemer. They needed to be cleansed. They were in need of redemption. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, We have all, say it with me, all, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. This is Isaiah. He's, he's, he's like, I'm throwing myself into that too. Isaiah, major prophet from the Old Testament. He says, we, not you, all you dirty people reading my, my letter, you messed up. No, he says, we, we have all become like one who is unclean. That is the adulterous woman. That is Joshua, the high priest of Israel the person that is caught and suffering in their sin and they're at their first Sunday service this morning and that is Pastor Greg Mitchell himself. That is me and that is you. That is all of us. All of us. But it is when we choose to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life is when we are cleansed by him. Joshua, the high priest, acknowledges God as his redeemer. The adulterous woman, as we see in this text, has an encounter with Christ and then calls him Lord. Because church, no matter what the world thinks of us and our status that we may hold in this world, no matter what the people around us see in us, no matter what the people around us think about us, we, at our best, are unclean and unworthy before God. It is not until we proclaim Christ as Lord that He can cleanse us. You see, what is interesting is that we consider Lord to just be another name of God. We say, dear Lord, our Lord in heaven. We just consider it to be one of his many nicknames. And to some extent, there's truth to that. But the reality is, is we can acknowledge who God is. Who Christ is. But still not allow him to be Lord over our life. The, the, the title Lord, the word Lord, 
The definition of it means someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or a ruler. You see, to acknowledge Jesus as Savior of the world is only recognizing him for who he is. That is who he is, whether you like it or not. Just like how the Pharisees came to him and said, teacher, they're just acknowledging his title. But when you acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world and you allow him to be Lord of your life is when he becomes Savior of you and Redeemer of you. See, even the demons believe and they tremble. They obviously and clearly do not submit to Christ as their Lord. To acknowledge him as your Lord means to accept him as the ruler over your life. Many of us, full of pride, are, find difficulty in accepting this. That, that God, crazy enough, the one who created you, knows what's best for you. Joshua, the high priest, had done this. He had accepted God as his Lord. Just as the adulterous woman does in our text, accepts Christ as Lord. Just as I have done personally accepted Christ as my Lord, just as I pray you have done or will do, accept Christ as your Lord because you and I and all others stand before God at our best still filthy. You see, we place this status on the high priest and the adulterous woman and we rank them in our minds, right? We can't help it. But standing before God, we are all the same, sinful and in need of a Savior. Desperately needing the Redeemer to cleanse us. And to accept Christ as Lord of our life means that we will repent of our sins. That we will turn to Him. That we will obey His words. That we will live a life following him. It means that we will be obedient. It means that we will, as Jesus says, go and sin no more and walk in the light. John 14, 15, Jesus says very plainly and, clear, and clearly, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, of course, I'm not naive to the fact that we get saved and, and we're not, we, we don't act perfect from there on out. It's not, he says, go and sin no more. He's not literally meaning if you sin even once for the rest of your life, your salvation's gone. You're out. Game over. But what he's saying is go and live a better life. Go and make an effort. Go and repent. Choose wisely your choices. You see, the blood of Christ is not a license to go and sin some more. just because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. It's a new start. It's a chance to live righteously before our Lord. It's a clean slate. It's an opportunity to have the peace we never had. It's an opportunity to live life like we never have. It's an opportunity to go from being a burden to people, to being a, a pain to people, to hurting people, to hurting ourselves, to turn into a blessing and a righteous man of God, a righteous woman of God, used by God himself. 
peace beyond all understanding, to be a new creation by our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4 say, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried Therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He didn't say, go and sin some more. He said, go and sin no more. He said, go and live a new life. He didn't bring you back from the dead just so you could go off and kill yourself again. Just as these scriptures and many, many more call us to live a repentant life as a new creation after our salvation, Jesus calls the high priest and the adulterous woman to do just the same. We see in Zechariah 3, 6-7 from our text, it says, And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you walk in my ways and keep my courage, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. You see, we see this command take place immediately after God rebukes Satan on Joshua's behalf. And after the Lord removes his filthy clothes, redeems him, and puts new clothes on him, he gives this command. He says, walk in my ways and keep my charge. How many know you put on a new white t-shirt? If you want it to stay clean, you got to try, right? Especially if you got kids. <laughs> it's, what, it's an image of what God has done. We come before him filthy and he cleanses us and he says, now do your best to keep that brand new white t-shirt nice and clean. How many know no matter how hard you try, something's going to get on that shirt? But it's not about if you succeed, it's about are you trying? And then there's the adulteress. We see in this story, we see Christ rebuke her accusers. And then redeem her. And she acknowledges him as Lord. And then we see in verses 10 through 11, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, Lord. And then Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. He says, I do not condemn you. I came to redeem you. Listen, if God wanted to condemn us, he didn't have to come to earth to do it. <laughs> he could have just sent the fire and called it a day. He came to redeem us, to give us new lives so that we could live differently, so that we could live in this newness of life. And something interesting, right after this story, the very next verse, John 8, verse 12, says, And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. This is immediately after the story of the adulterous woman. This is the very next verse, and this is powerful to think of. Think of this image, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And he just shows up in this woman's life and illuminates her life. Jesus came to this earth to bring light to our sin. And then to bring light to our lives. God loved us enough to come to us in our sin. To show us redemption. But Christ does not leave us in this sinful state and the pain that comes with it. He says, I came to you. I saved you. Now walk in newness of life. Go and sin no more and walk in my light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Think about this. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Now imagine, it's hard to imagine in, in 2023, darkness, like real darkness. Because this, was, this stuff was written before electricity existed. So if it was dark, listen, it was dark. <laughs> I mean, we got all kinds of sources of light these days. You got street lights, you got lights in the ceiling, we got lights on our phone, we got all these things. It's, it's not hard to find light. But listen, back then, when it was dark, it was dark. Have you guys ever been out in the middle of nowhere with no lights on? You can't even go like this, you can't even see your hand. That's what it was like everywhere back then. There was light pollution. That's not even a thing. When it was dark, listen to me, it was dark. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light of the world comes to us. He shows us our sin, things we could not see before. But then he also shows us redemption and newness of life. Things that we are capable of through his light that we could not see before. But then he says, follow me. It's like, let me draw this picture with you. It's like this over here, Jesus has got his lantern, right? He's the light. Think about complete pitch dark. That lantern, the light only goes so far. This person over here can't see nothing. He sees light off in the distance, but that's about it. And he walks up to him. Boom. This person now over here can see the light of the world has come to earth. This person is you and I. It's all of us. All of a sudden, we can see ourselves. We can see the filth all over our clothes. We can see the mess that we've made. We didn't even realize we stepped in dog doo-doo, and we can see it in our shoes. We got all these problems, all these issues, and now here he is, the light of the world. For the first time in our lives, we can see. But then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus comes to us with this light, and he says, follow me. And then he starts walking. Listen, if we stay over there, it's dark again. That light is no longer with us. That light is no longer in us. Jesus makes it plain and clear. Now that you have seen the light, now that you have seen redemption, now that you have seen new life, if you want to keep it, you need to stay in my light. We need to walk with him. We must choose to walk with new life with him in this light. 
If we long to remain in redemption, we must remain in the light of our Redeemer. Because we come before Him filthy, sinful, hurting, embarrassed and ashamed, damaged, feeling irreparable. But then just as he did with the adulterous woman, he lifts us up, redeems us. He gives us a new life and says, go and sin no more and walk in my light as a testimony before mankind of my redeeming love and grace. Redemption is necessary for everyone from the adulteress all the way up to the high priest. But redemption is not the end. It is only the beginning of a newer and fuller life in the light and love of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.